Hi, I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, and I'm so glad you're here with us for this part of the Relationship Help Show. I have so many great guests, but today I'm really excited to be working with not only a guest, but a colleague. And we're back from the homeland together because, you know, I'm Canadian and I live in San Diego. And my guest, Charmaine Hammond, lives in both places. She's still Canadian, but she joins us here in San Diego for part of every year. So I'm so excited to have you with us, Charmaine. Thank you. Me too. And I'm really pleased not to be in the snow right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. That That's why I live here. Me too. <laughs> People often say to me, why did you move to San Diego? My simple answer is, did you notice it's warm here? Yes, and yeah. snow, exactly. <laughs> and no rain. So let me tell everybody a little bit about why I'm so excited to have you here, Charmaine, because I know you're such an expert in communication and conflict management and conflict resolution and collaboration. And when we're dealing with the difficult, the disturbing, and the toxic people in our lives, we really need to have a lot of skills in our toolbox. We really need to do that. And I know that you've been a mediator as I am, and you continue to do that kind of work to help people play nicely together at work. That was my tagline for it when I did that. Um, I know you do a lot of professional speaking, and you've written some great books, especially about your dog, Toby. And you, you're focused on something that's interesting and often missing in the workplace, which is kindness. And... And that's a big deal. It's often missing in our lives in general with other people. And one of the ways that we're not kind to is that we're not kind to ourselves sometimes. Mm, mm -hmm. We're constantly beating ourselves up. So that's a very important piece for us to consider. And so I'm just so happy to have you here so we can talk about what happens when you are dealing with somebody who doesn't really want to solve an issue. Mm-hmm. because sometimes we'll have a conver- somebody will be pretend to be open to a conversation <laughs> whether that's our partner or our parent or our ex or a coworker yes sure we can talk but you can tell that they are just steeled for the event they have yes. no real interest in making a change yes what do you think is the most important thing for us to start with when we have that feeling that this person is just going through the motions. Oh, I love that question because we see that all the time. We see it in the workplace. We see it in our in our interpersonal relationships at home and in our community. You know, one of the things that I think is so interesting about conflict and communication is that every time we go into a situation, we're bringing past with us in some respect, whether it's old assumptions, emotions that haven't been worked through, and in some cases, old conflicts. So one of the things we want to do in these situations that you've described, Roberta, is we really want to check in, you know, is this an assumption we're making that the person isn't interested in resolving the conflict? Is it past that's now clouding today? Um, Is it something about me, perhaps? Maybe I'm not as willing to resolve the conflict as I think I am. And the number one way to get around that is to ask a lot of questions. Questions are a great way to actually break down assumptions and figure out what is going on. And I think as humans, what we often do, and I know I've done this myself, is we get the thought that something's not right. This person doesn't want to participate in a conversation. And we believe that that assumption is true. 
then we act on that assumption and it may be entirely off base. And now we've just created another sort of ugly conversation that we have to manage. So asking questions and getting rid of assumptions is a really great place to start. Yeah, I love that, Charmaine. And one of the reasons I love that is because when we read another person, we're reading them from our experience, not their experience. Yes. So we look at them and we go, oh, there are people in my life who look like that, and therefore it means this. And we do make those assumptions about them. And also, from when we were children, we read things from a different context, and often we haven't refreshed that view of the world. Yes. We're just still relying on that, particularly in a difficult conversation where we have some fear. You know, like, is this going to go anywhere? Are we going to be able to resolve this? And so we go back to those kind of childhood assumptions and emotions. So it's a great idea to ask questions. And sometimes people are resistant to questions. So what insights could you have for the way those questions are asked? That's that is so on target, Roberta. Because I, I hear that all the time. People say I'm asking lots of questions and I'm not getting anywhere. And when I say what questions you're asking, what back to me are questions that start with did you, could you, would you, should have, should you have, and those are all close-ended questions. We can answer those with a yes or a no. There's no depth. There's no curiosity. No exploration of the person's judgments, values, opinions, and perspective. What we want to do is actually change the type of questioning we do, that we use, sorry, and we want to use open questions, who, what, where, when, why, and how. Those elicit a participation from the other person. They tend to be a little, um, they don't feel accusatory or mm-hmm. um, yeah. like an interrogation. And it allows people to express um, their perspective in a way that we can Now, I do want to put a caution out there. The question why, why did you do something? (laughs) Um, Why did you do it that way? (laughs) The question why can come across as highly accusational, um, especially when there's tone involved. Now, you can say, wow, I'm so curious why you did it that way. And that would sound okay. However, if you said, why'd you do it that way? (laughs) We get into this, you know, this... uh, a a pushback conversation. So open questions will really further the dialogue, but I would really caution using why I actually use how instead of why. I think that's such a great thing to put out there, Charmaine, because going back to the childhood, every child was asked, why did you do that? And they don't have an answer. It seemed like a good idea at the time. That's what I thought to do. I don't have a good answer. And so when someone starts asking us why questions as an adult and there's any fear involved or uncertainty, we immediately feel like we've gone back to the wall and are that child like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't have an answer. Yeah. So, and I also like the point that you made about accusatory things because when, when you ask someone in a way that has inherent blame in it, mm then the other person already feels pushed back. Yes. And then they're not coming forward. And the whole point of having the conversation is that we would come closer together and be able to lean into the conversation. So, you know, sometimes now we get started and we ask some good questions and maybe we're opening the conversation. So we might say something like, 
you said, I'm really curious about this. And I'm also really interested in my belief that we can resolve this. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. when we can be inclusive in the conversation, as opposed to you and me or we and them, that inclusive nature. What have you found about that? Oh, that's critical. And language becomes so important in communication and conflict resolution. People have a tendency um, to sort of say what's on their mind without filtering it and, and um, really describing what the question is. So we off, it's so clear to us in our head, but as you said earlier, we have our experience wrapped around that. We have our emotions and our understanding of the other person's situation. So we have to really, really communicate clearly and also be aware of the different filters that we're filtering a person's communication through. I, I wanted to address something too that you were, when you were talking about the, um, the questions, there's also this tendency for us to ask these leading questions. And I know parents often find themselves in this and we also find ourselves in the same trap in the workplace where we might say something like, don't you think that if you, <laughs> which really means my answer is right, and I'm going to try and convince you that it is. So we also have to be full of leading questions that are taking somebody to buy to your perspective because if there's high emotion. If there's a history between the people that will come across as so abrasive and it, it will just create that resistance. And the comment you made that, that inclusiveness, getting that buy-in from the people That is so powerful at the beginning of a conversation because if you think about it, that's perhaps the first agreement that you made together. Are you willing to have this conversation with me? Yes. Perfect. We have an agreement. And in mediation, years ago when I was a mediator, and I know you can relate to this, uh, those little mini agreements that get made form a lot of trust and momentum as the conversation continues. So they're important and it makes person that you're that you're talking to feel that this is really us against the problem instead of us against each other. Oh, love that because that's the, <laughs> that's the important thing. You know, when I'm working with my couples, which I have clients all over the world that I work with and, you know, I'm known as the relationship help doctor mm-hmm. providing urgent and ongoing care to relationships in crisis. <laughs> so what I, I tell them is, how about this? Imagine that you don't put the problem between you so that you're fighting about it like dogs with a bone. Imagine that you're putting it on the wall and you sit down together and hold hands and you say, there's our problem over there. What shall we do about it? Yes. And that whole change in attitude and change in positioning makes a huge difference because the relationship owns the problem and we have the power to create that relationship in whatever form we want. Mm-hmm. That the, the way that you said, you know, here we are and the problem is over there. I remember when that became so clear for me, I was a brand new mediator. This is going back many, many years. And I was dealing with a very, very complex family situation. And um, the parents and the two teenagers couldn't see eye to eye on anything. And I had tried a number of strategies to get them to work together and just hear one another. And I went out of the room to get a cup of coffee. And when I had come back, they had sort of changed seats, which was 
an amazing blessing in disguise. And mm-hmm. I, I could feel the energy shift, but I hadn't clued into what was going on. And then I stood up to, to write on my flip chart, thinking that I would draw the attention to the problem instead of to all of them. And all four of them were sort of sitting in a half circle. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's it. It's the four of them sitting in, they actually positioned their chairs to be all looking sort of at the flip chart, which represented the problem. And Mm -hmm. the level of anxiety and frustration in the room just decreased so much. And so I actually changed after that day, I changed the setup in my office to be able to facilitate that kind of a conversation just through the way the furniture was, was placed. Yeah, a great idea. And of course, our clients teach us all the time. (laughs) Do they ever? (laughs) Here's an example for that. But um, what do you do when a conversation gets polarized? You know, Mm. when you can't get that inclusiveness, when you can't say, we own the problem, Mm. when it's, it's your fault, and you never, and you always, and I am fed up and tired with you, and all of that, which brings as to the the hijackal situation when the hijackal is all is the one who always has to be right and you always have to be wrong mm-hmm. and at fault what can somebody do outside of a of a professional's office when the conversation is constantly polarized like that yeah we see that a lot and I, it brings me back to a just an example jumped into my head it was a workplace that i was called not in as a mediator i was actually called in to do some team building training and the particular leader uh, was presenting that way where everything was someone else's fault um lots of blame and um not engaging people and people that you can imagine the trust was low. There was actually fear, I think on people's part to, to resolve the conversation. And so as this leader continued to project blame, one of the things that I found was really helpful and, and there's a common tendency as somebody projects blame, we either push back or we retreat is what we see and neither help the situation. So what I did with this particular individual was ask them to deepen the level of their answers. So when they would say, nobody does that, I would use an open question. Who do you mean by nobody? Ah, yes. It's never, ever nobody. (laughs) (laughs) There's somebody who's doing something right. And, and, or everybody always, you know, always, never, all these questions are powerful because they assign such blame. So if you can get people to deepen their answer and really resist that urge to push back. And we do that by, I call it the three second rule. My mom talked when I was little, (laughs) that when you have that urge to just blurt and say something in your cat, in your head, just count one, two, three, and then speak. And just those three seconds of not quickly retaliating with an answer can actually shape what comes out of your mouth. And it can be sort of a calming effect on the other person. So that's one thing is to deepen the answer so that you're understanding their perspective not necessarily jumping in to defend yourself because often what a person presents as the issue is actually not the issue at all. And so we want to deepen the conversation. If it continues, you know, I'll say Roberta that there's lots of times where a person's behavior may continue to the level where someone is feeling threatened. Mm -hmm. They feel that they are um, either emotionally unsafe in the conversation or potentially physically unsafe. And I think at that point, Um, we may need to look at halting the conversation 
Yeah, let's talk about safety mm-hmm. in our second segment because that's Great. a big, big word. Yeah. My guest today is Charmaine Hammond. You can find her at hammondgroup.biz. And you want to look at her books. You want to see all the wonderful things she had because all this wisdom that she's bringing to us came from a long career in handling conflict and increasing and improving communication. So you'll find us at relationshiphelp.com, much more information, relationshiphelpshow.com, and we'll be right back. Stay tuned. <music> 